Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 7th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me today is Slash Film managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Ytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. All right, guys, so we have a lot of news to get to today. Let's just jump right into it. Jacob, tell us about the big Star Trek news that broke over the weekend. We had our water cooler episode yesterday, so we didn't talk about any news, but this is uh, one of the bigger stories to come out uh, in the past few days. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, this is the movie or the entertainment news of 2018. That is that CBS is making a new CBS All Access series uh, that will be a new Star Trek show starring Patrick Stewart returning as uh, Jean-Luc Picard from... Star Trek Next Generation, and it's four movie spinoffs. And the details aren't 100% known yet, uh, but Alex Kurtzman, the current showrunner on Star Trek Discovery, uh, will be executive producing. And Stuart uh, issued a statement, a sort of heartwarming statement that you can read in full uh, in the show notes. But uh, I will read a brief part where after he says he never thought he'd return as Picard, he says, During these past years, it has been humbling to hear many stories about how the next generation brought people comfort saw them through difficult periods in their lives, or how the example of Jean-Luc inspired so many to follow in his footsteps, pursuing science, exploration, and leadership. I feel I'm ready to return to him for the same reason, to research and experience what comforting and reforming light he, he might shine on these often very dark times. Uh, so <laughs> when I read this, I kind of couldn't help but tear up a little bit because Star Trek Generation is one of my favorite shows of all time, the show I grew up with, and uh, Picard is, for my money, one of the greatest science fiction characters of all time. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Star Trek Next Generation was the uh, f- second Star Trek series, and the first one to be like really huge, because the first one was you know cult item in the 60s, and it ran from 87 to 94, and it was set, you know, I think, 70 or 80 years after the events of Captain Kirk and Spock, and it was this whole new crew on a whole new Enterprise, and uh, Picard was the stern but warm-hearted uh, leader, and unlike Kirk, who was sort of a warrior and a soldier, Picard was a diplomat, he was a thinker, he was an artist. And he was all—he's also just silly in the right ways and just stern in the right ways. Um, he felt like—he felt like your dad in, in the right way. He felt like one of the, he's not a father, but he feels like a great TV dad nonetheless. And 
this is cool news for three reasons, which I talked about in the article, which is that this character coming back is just a big deal. Uh, him, him getting their chance after four increasingly dire movies that failed to send off him and his cast well, him getting this chance to come back is great news, uh, and just seeing him hopefully have a great ending. Um, the other reason is that this series is jumping forward into the future for the first time in Trek history, at least in a long, long time, because Next Generation established this new timeline set after um, the events of the original series, but then uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager took place in that same time period, and then next shows came after that, Enterprise and uh, Discovery, were all set um, before that, back around the same time as um, original series or before. Mm. So for the first time in 20-something years, Star Trek is, or maybe is it closer to 30 years, geez, um, Star Trek is actually saying, okay, here's what happened next. Here's what happens after the events of Voyager, Deep Space Nine, and Next Generation. So we're going to see new technology, new ships, new uniforms. What does the Federation look like 30 years after Picard and after everything went down in those in that great series finale and those mostly bad movies? And I guess on a personal note, uh, as somebody who grew up without a father and looked for fathers in pop culture, I read, I read about this a little bit more in the article, but um, Picard was like one of the like examples growing up. And even today, as a, as a managing editor at Slash Film, before I make a decision, I sometimes wonder what would Picard do and, and try to take that into account. Uh, so on a personal level, this is the most exciting news I've heard in pop culture in a long, long time. But I'm Picard, curious if anyone else here yeah, is... Picard would absolutely publish the article, Jacob, every time, if that's what you're wondering. <laughs> he, would, he would publish it. Uh, I it's, um, I think you were getting ready to ask us about our relationship to, uh, to that character. And I think... Um, I have seen all of the Star Trek movies, but I have not really delved into any of the TV shows. And I have a giant box set of, I actually don't even know what's in it. I think it's the original series and maybe some of Next Generation in there as well. Uh, I know all the movies are in there, but again, I've already seen those. So I'm looking forward to sort of, I don't know, carving out months of my life and fully diving into Star Trek. It's one of those things that I've just been putting off for a long time because it's such a, a daunting undertaking. Um, and I realized that the the original series is way different from the stuff that, that comes later. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I'm familiar with this character in the way that I've only seen those movies, and that's about it. So I, I don't know too much more about him um, other than what I've seen there. Brad or HT, have you guys seen any of the... Uh, the Picard movies or the TV show? Um, my experience with Star Trek is strictly adheres to the only the movies. Uh, I haven't watched any of the Next Generation series. I've seen like a few episodes here and there of the classic Star Trek, but Star Trek was never really my jam growing up. Okay, well, uh, Jacob's enthusiasm uh, speaks for us all in this case. It seems well, like... Uh... Oh, go ahead. I just want to add one quick capper to all of this, uh, and that is... One of the things I found, found really interesting is that the series finale of Next Generation, uh, titled All Good Things, uh, jumps forward through time uh, into the past, present, and future of, of Picard. And in this future, in the series finale, we see older Picard working on a, on his in his um, family winery, um, producing uh, or growing grapes in, or in his vineyard, and uh, having all kinds of um, uh, adventures through time and space even then. So I'm really curious if they will try to accommodate that in this series and have him maybe be part-time um, winemaker, uh, part-time Starfleet admiral or ambassador or whatnot, <laughs> or if they will uh, just ignore that and say, oh, timeline changed. Because there were, there were rumblings on the internet, and I couldn't find anyone to confirm this, that this new series is set in the Kelvin timeline, which is the timeline created by J.J. Um, Abrams' reboots, which would mean this would be Picard, but Picard in a separate timeline. 
I'm very curious to hear if that's true or how that works out. And if so, can we have reboot Picard and meet new Picard and have double Picard adventures? That's all I want. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted on more about that as soon as we find out. And I would recommend, even if you've listened to this entire segment, uh, reading Jacob's article because it's really great and you can find that in the show notes. So let's move on to MoviePass. Uh, Brad, what is going on with MoviePass? I know that recently we were talking about how they decided to raise their prices, but now they're not doing that? What's the latest with them? Yeah, MoviePass is just uh, all over the place. Um, now MoviePass has officially decided they won't be raising their subscription price to $14.95 a month. However, um, in order to keep the $9.95 a month plan, which will now be their only plan, there will no longer be unlimited movies. Instead, the $9.95 a month price will get you exactly three movie tickets a month. Now, the good news with that, even though it's completely, almost completely the opposite of the original MoviePass subscription plan, which gave you one movie ticket a day um, and was to pretty much any movie and that kind of thing, uh, the one good thing about this limitation is that limiting subscribers to three movies a month means that most of the major blockbuster releases will be available on opening weekend, which was something that MoviePass was previously considering taking away if they uh, when they raised their prices and kept the unlimited plan around. But um, they, they did say that there will be some instances where certain blockbusters may not be available on opening weekend. Um, I'm imagining it probably will depend on MoviePass trying to negotiate with studios as far as creating some kind of deal for helping to drive traffic to blockbusters on opening weekends. Mm -hmm. And that once they show studios just how much uh, traffic they can drive to a certain movie on opening weekend, that they might use that to, you know, uh, negotiate some kind of deal to share part of the box office take or something like that. Who knows? MoviePass is just full of all these wacky ideas. But from now on, $9.95 for three movies a month will be the only option at MoviePass. If you are an annual subscriber and you uh, you're you'll be grandfathered in and you'll still be able to do unlimited movies but you'll also have to deal with the problems of certain movies likely not being available um e-ticketing will be the easiest way for you to get tickets for those movies um and you'll still have to do ticket verification but for this new plan you won't have to deal with uh surge pricing or ticket verification so there you go. It's uh, a lot of bad with a little bit of good. And uh, it, again, if you're looking for a way out, now more than ever, the AMC Stubbs A-List is the better option because comparably with AMC Stubbs A-List, you get three movie tickets each week for the price of $20. So even though that's double the price of MoviePass, that's also quadruple the tickets. Yeah. So, and Brad breaks this down more in the article. And I mean, we were talking about this when the the press release came out announcing this information. It was so baffling the way that like they the wording that they used. And I would recommend anybody who cares about MoviePass and and uh, has been tracking all of this, the, you know, along with us to go and read this article because Brad copies and pastes a bunch of the <laughs> the language from this press release and tries to translate it for everyone. Uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty entertaining stuff. So the craziest thing is that in no clear terms do they tell people in the press release you only get three tickets a month they just say 
uh, some people wouldn't be mad if we limited the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's not the only baffling thing that MoviePass is doing. They, uh, they, they also released an announcement this morning that they're still going and trying to make movies themselves. So uh, I think it was earlier this summer they acquired, they acquired a production company called Emmett Furla Oasis Films, and they launched a new subsidiary of MoviePass called or of, of Helios and Matheson, which is the parent company of MoviePass, movie uh, that's called MoviePass Films. And Gotti, the John Travolta movie that we've talked about a lot on the podcast, and this new movie, The Row, which I had never really heard of, but it's like a sorority set uh, serial killer movie, are the only two movie, movies that have uh, sort of fallen under that banner thus far. But now they decided that they're going to make a new movie amid all of this they're struggling and their price shifts and like basically the fact that they're tail spin tail spinning into oblivion they also decided hey now's a great time to do something that is incredibly difficult to pull off even under optimal conditions so uh they're making a new movie called 10 minutes gone and they've cast bruce willis in one of the lead roles and i'll read you guys the plot synopsis here the story follows a man who loses 10 minutes of his memory due to being hit by a stray bullet during a bank heist gone wrong. He must put the pieces of his broken memory together in order to find out who sabotaged the job and took the money, all while being pursued by a powerful crime boss hell-bent on recovering the cash. Willis plays the pissed-off crime boss. So, uh, first of all, that movie just kind of objectively sounds terrible, um, and then it sounds very much like the direct-to-video kind of schlock that Bruce Willis has been making over the past, whatever, 10 or 15 years. Um, and just the idea that the the balls on MoviePass to think that, like, yeah, we have the resources and the time and the uh, the aptitude to go ahead and make a movie in the midst of, you know, their swirling destruction all around them. Um, it's pretty baffling to me. I'm not sure how they decided that this is a, <laughs> the right time to uh, to continue on with this. But I guess maybe if they, uh, you know, the the price change and all of that, or the, the revamp of their subscription plan, maybe they're going to be around longer than we gave them credit for because they're sort of changing things up so drastically. So maybe, maybe we're going to be hearing more about MoviePass uh, in the months to come. I... I'm not looking forward to that, but that sounds but, like But, but Ben, isn't it appropriate that MoviePass has teamed up with Bruce Willis, this company <laughs> that does not know what they're doing with an actor who does not care anymore? It's like, it's such a, a beautiful marriage of people who belong in the same room. <laughs> Plus, <laughs> 10, 10 Minutes Gone sounds like the perfect title for a movie about MoviePass. <laughs> yes, exactly. I made it a similar joke in my article. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our next topic, and that is something that HT is pretty excited about. Uh, a new Supergirl movie is officially in the works. HT, tell us about that. Yeah, the girls are going to take over the DC universe, hopefully. Uh, but Warner Brothers is officially developing a Supergirl movie penned by 22 Jump Street writer Oren Uzio, uh, according to Deadline. So this is in the works. Uh, we don't know much about it other than it'll be part of the DC film universe that includes Man of Steel, Suicide Squad, and Justice League. And uh, this won't actually be Supergirl's first feature film. There was a 1984 film starring Helen Slater in the title role. And um, most recently, Melissa Benoist played uh, Supergirl in the CW TV series, which is actually quite good if you guys want to give a CW series a chance. But um, this is really exciting because it's 
kind of Warner Brothers building its repertoire of female-led um, solo movies after the huge success of Wonder Woman. So Supergirl will be joining other films like the Batgirl film and Birds of Prey as the other female-led films that are currently in development. I wonder, and I know that you already said that we that's basically all the information we have here, but I, I'm wondering, do you guys think that this is going to be in the, you know, DC has, uh, has announced that they've started this other uh, silo, I guess, where it's like they're doing, uh, telling stories that are separate from the traditional narrative, uh, their, their saga movies, basically. Um, so like the, the Todd Phillips Joker movie is in this separate thing where it's just sort of like a one-off kind of deal. Do you guys think that this Supergirl movie is going to be in that category or do you think they're going to try to work her into the actual fold of the, the traditional superhero characters that we've seen in movies like Justice League? I, think I don't know what Warner Brothers is doing. <laughs> <laughs> but they, come on, come on! They have to be putting her in the main ones. Though. I mean, there's this, I, the whole appeal of this Joker movie is let's go make this crime movie with prestige people. Whereas I don't think people will be interested in prestige Supergirl. I think that has to be, you know, she has to exist in the same universe as everybody else. Otherwise, it doesn't have the same appeal. Unless you cast Meryl Streep as whole Supergirl or something, and, <laughs> and go with that route. In case I will watch it. But I feel like over the hill Supergirl. I mean, sure, surely, um, the fact that we're talking about um, an, another female-led DC movie in a second suggests that uh, Warner Bros. is looking at Wonder Woman's box office and critical acclaim and, and taking note, right? HD. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming, essentially, because this is coming off the heels of Batgirl, which they greenlit, and the Birds of Prey movie, which is um, kind of moving along more more quickly as well. So we're going to talk about that in, in just a second. I have one more question for you, HT. I know that uh, the Supergirl that is on the CW right now is sort of a, um, you know, like a cheery ray of light, right? Like that's basically what the character is like. Do you mm -hmm. think that DC and, and Warner Brothers, the way that they've been going, do you think that they would, do you think that they could do like a dark and gritty Supergirl? Is that a take that you would be interested no, in? Just because it's... I hope not. Okay. Yeah, no, well, when I heard that they were doing a Supergirl movie, I assumed it would be on the lighter, more cheery, optimistic side, uh, kind of taking cues from Wonder Woman again. And Supergirl is kind of that, but like times 10, much sunnier, despite be having a more almost tragic backstory. She has always been depicted as kind of like a teen girl um, and like living, living in the shadow of Superman, but still like quite an optimistic character. So I hope that it's more along the lines of just like a kind of similar to the CW TV series, which is also kind of getting weighed down a little bit by drama, but I really like what they did at the beginning and how they kind of kept it a little campy and a little fun, and I anticipate the Supergirl feature film being somewhat like that as well. All right, so let's talk about Birds of Prey, and, and Jacob, you mentioned that uh, a little, uh, a couple minutes ago, and the Birds of Prey movie has now found its villain. Who is that going to be? Well, specifically, um, the rap has reported that the villain in the movie will be Black Mask, a not-quite-classic but not-quite-brand-new uh, villain um, from Gotham City. His real name is Roman Sionis, and he's been a member of the Batman Rogue Gallery since 1985. And his whole thing is that he's pretty much a dark side of Bruce Wayne. He's a criminal mastermind, wears, wears a mask, uses gadgets, smarts, money, and physical prowess to uh, conquer his enemies, but instead of uh, using it to save Gotham City like Bruce Wayne does. He uses it to ensnare Gotham City uh, in his criminal enterprise as part of a revenge scheme against Wayne Enterprises and Bruce Wayne. Which is why I think it's interesting that he's the Birds of Prey villain because it, you take away 
uh, Batman, who was Black Mask. His whole motivation as a villain is to um, get revenge against Bruce Wayne. Oh, and real quick, real quick, Jacob, we we mentioned uh, that this was sort of a female-led thing, but just in case people are just hearing about Birds of Prey for the first time, what is that? Who you know? Who's involved? What's what's the basic gist of that film? Okay, I can I can do that. Uh, Birds of Prey is a female uh, team of anti-heroes and superheroes. In this case, this is the film's lineup, which is different from the comics. It's uh, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn from Suicide Squad, the, the, the sole bright spot from that movie. Teaming up with Cassandra Cain, one of the several Batgirls. Uh, Huntress, this mafia princess turned vigilante. Uh, Black Canary, uh, who has supersonic screen powers. And Renee Montoya, a uh, Gotham City detective, who you may remember from Batman the Animated Series, who eventually made her way into the comics and is just a really great character. So we have these uh, this group of ladies fighting a Batman villain. <laughs> I'm very curious to see if they keep his obsession with Bruce Wayne or maybe change it a little bit so it makes more sense for him being the villain here. Uh, I, I do think that it's ultimately a wise choice because if you argue he's a Batman villain, which makes sense for a Gotham City set movie, uh, you, you don't want to go with a Penguin or the Riddler or somebody who has, who has the pop culture cash to overshadow this group of women. So they want the villain who's well-known enough to be a threat and like be, be in people's minds but not well-known enough that he overshadows um, the team who should be the star here. But I want to hear from HG because I know that when she recently ranked her favorite DC animated movies on the site, uh, Black Mask was featured probably one of her number one uh, picks, correct? Yeah, although the yeah Under the Red Hood is one of my favorite is my favorite DC animated film, but he wasn't actually actually the reason for um, me liking it so much. He was kind of a sort of a plot device in the film, and though they kind of revamped his character to be a more mob boss type of character, which was very impressive because he's kind of lived in the shadow of Penguin for a while, being kind of a knockoff of the character in the end. But um, I think because he's been so underused, it could be, give a lot of potential for his character in Birds of Prey, just because they can really do whatever they want with it and make him more than just just a mob boss or more than just a Penguin sort of uh, copy. So that's uh, Birds of Prey, and do we have a release date on that? Do they? Do we know like when that begins shooting or anything? Not yet. Um, I don't know if they if they've announced a shooting release date. I don't have that uh, or shooting date. I don't have that in front of me. But as of now, there's no actual release date set. You know what? Good on them. The concept of having a release date set for a movie that has not begun filming yet is something that I hope dies, and maybe DC will help kill it because they realize that setting a cyborg movie for 2020 is a bad plan. So maybe just let Birds of Prey go along at its own pace. All right, so let's talk about another DC superhero, and that is the CW's Batwoman. HT, that character has just been cast. Who is going to be playing that role? So Ruby Rose will be playing the CW's Batwoman in the upcoming Arrowverse crossover event uh, this fall, and possibly in her own solo series that is currently being developed by the network and Greg Berlanti. So uh, Ruby Rose, who has, who you may know from uh, Orange is the New Black, Pitch Perfect, John Wick Chapter 2, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, uh, has been on a roll recently and is one of the most prominent openly gay gender fluid actresses out there right now. And so now she has been cast as uh, Kate Kane, a.k.a. Batwoman, who is a capes vigilante operating out of Gotham and uh, is one of the few openly gay uh, major characters in the DC Comics canon to uh, headline a solo title series. And this is um, a really exciting sort of prospect as well because uh, a Batwoman series would also be actually the second uh, CWD TV series to uh, have a 
LGBT character leading the cast. I made a mistake earlier and forgot about Legends of Tomorrow because Legends of Tomorrow is led by a bisexual character. So, um, yes, Ruby Rosie playing Batwoman, and she will be making her debut this December in a DC crossover event between Arrow, The Flash, and Supergirl. And uh, that will sort of lead the way, possibly, for her own solo series. And Jacob, I know that you're a big fan of uh, Batman comics and that entire Bat family, and you were especially impressed with this casting, right? Uh, yeah, I think that the fact they went out and found an actual LGBTQ uh, actress for this is impressive on its own. But also, I, I have a weird obsession with Ruby Rose. I think she's so unbelievably badass in Triple X or Terms of Cage and John Wick Chapter 2. I know that uh, I was talking to Brad and, and HG about this offline, uh, where they both feel like they both described her as being in like with her, not in love with her. Well, I'm in love with Ruby Rose. I think she's great. Um, my one concern is that my favorite thing about Batwoman is uh, in the comics is that she starts being a vigilante independently of Batman. She's not like in debt to him like Robin or Batgirl is. She's, she's not like a member of that family. She's like the the long lost aunt almost who shows up to the family and nobody knows what to do with her. Uh, so I, I wonder how she'll operate as a character when her, her role as the unpredictable wild card to Gotham City is not in play. Uh, but we'll see. Interesting. All right, so let's go from DC to Star Wars now and talk really quickly about the live-action Star Wars TV show that is in the works. The budget for that has been revealed in a new New York Times report, and the report says that the show, quote, is expected to cost roughly $100 million for 10 episodes. So that would basically put it pretty close to the top of the list of the most expensive shows in history, certainly in the in the top, you know, 5, 10 uh, in, in that range. Uh, for, I guess, for context, the six episodes that are coming up in Game of Thrones' eighth and final season are said to be about $15 million each. And we actually wrote an article not too long ago that sort of crunches the numbers and, and ranks a bunch of really super expensive TV shows. So it's not too surprising that a Star Wars show for Disney and Lucasfilm is going to have a very high budget. Um, Peter has been saying for a long time that the Disney streaming service, which is where this show is going to debut, is uh, is not being shy about spending a lot of money on their content there. And this uh, New York Times report basically proves that. So... In addition to the budget, we also have a rumor from a, a site called Making Star Wars that has a pretty good track record when it comes to getting Star Wars scoops and breaking information from upcoming movies and TV shows. And they say that uh, John Favreau's still untitled live action show is going to be set on the outer rim planet of Mandalore, which is basically the the home planet of Boba Fett. Um, you know, Mandalorians. That's where that comes from. Uh, I, I am not, admittedly, not like as as uh, adept in Star Wars mythos as brad is so i'm wondering brad do you have any thoughts about uh so, so let me also let me set the stage just a little bit more they said that uh th there seems to be some confusion about when the show is taking place because favreau himself said that the show takes place seven years after the events of return of the jedi and this new report says that the show is only going to be taking place three years after return of the jedi but in either case it's after that and before well before the events of star wars the force awakens so knowing that the show is set somewhere in that time period and that theoretically this uh, this new series could be set on Mandalore and, and basically follow the uh, rise of the Mandalorian culture after the Empire's reign. Brad, do you have any thoughts about that setting as a, a setting for a live-action Star Wars TV show? Uh, you know, I, I think that it opens up the possibility for a lot of storylines that we haven't seen in Star Wars before. 
uh, especially because most of what we've seen involving Mandalore and any Mandalorian characters has taken place um, before the events of the original trilogy, th- in things like uh, Clone Wars and the Star Wars Rebels. So having uh, a series that's set after from the Jedi involving Mandalore would be very interesting, especially because we don't really know uh, what Mandalore is like, um, you know, after or even during the events of the original trilogy. So it would definitely be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if I have any ideas as to what that could entail. Um, but, you know, it's uh, if anything, you know, I kind of hope that we dig a little bit into the uh, seedy underbelly of Star Wars. Um, you know, like we there have been projects rumored before that have we're supposed to deal with that and sort of like the criminal underworld element. So hopefully we get to explore a little bit more than what we've seen in the movies and the other TV shows so far. Yeah, totally. And Mandalore has never appeared in live action before. Like you mentioned, it's, it's shown up in uh, like clone wars and things like that, but, um, but we've never seen it in live action. So this is technically an opportunity for Disney and Lucasfilm and John Favreau to give us something that we've never seen before in the Star Wars universe, even though I personally wish that they would have, you know, gone way back in time and set this during like the, uh, the Knights of the Old Republic era. Um, but I, I think, and I'll, I know a lot of fans have been sort of clamoring for uh, some sort of movie or TV show set in that era for a, a long time, but maybe this uh, show that, that, you know, if this rumor pans out, which like, like I said, it's not a done deal yet, but it's a, a pretty strong rumor. Um, that that Mandalore is becomes like a central setting. Maybe that could be laying the groundwork for future uh, TV shows or or movies or you know stories that explore that time period uh, in more detail. So maybe people can uh, those fans who have been holding out for Knights of the Republic era or Knights of the Old Republic era uh, content. Maybe they don't have that much longer to wait. So we'll we'll have to keep our eyes peeled and and let you guys know more about that as soon as we learn about it. And let's move into our final news story of the day, and that is a a couple of new people have joined the cast of Spider-Man Far From Home. Brad, who are they? Well, despite the fact that they completely turned to dust or ash or whatever you want to call it in the post credit scene in Avengers Infinity War, uh, it looks like we'll be getting Nick Fury and Maria Hill back in action in Spider-Man Far From Home. There have been rumors that these two were going to end up in this movie uh, based on certain activity on Instagram um, one of the uh, recently uh, added cast members uh, to Spider-Man Far From Home actually posted an Instagram update confirming that uh, he was going to be involved with the series. Um, this was actor uh, Newman Akar. And in his post, he initially had a bunch of hashtags, including Maria Hill and Nick Fury. But he later took them out because he probably got a scolding from Marvel saying, hey, people don't know that they're in this movie yet, guy. Um and so uh, Samuel Jackson has been posting some photos on Instagram from London and Italy, which are both shooting locations for Spider-Man Far From Home. And now Vulture apparently has gotten word that uh, they'll both be in the movie. What we don't know, though, is exactly how they're going to be involved with the plot, mostly because we don't really know what the plot is. You know, We know that Peter Parker is going abroad for some kind of summer vacation with his classmates and... Uh, the rumor and word on the street is that Jake Gyllenhaal is supposed to be playing Mysterio. That hasn't been confirmed by Marvel yet, but Jake Gyllenhaal has been spotted in London recently, so that likely will end up being true as well. But we have no idea what kind of um, threat or plot Spider-Man's going to be dealing with this time, or how he becomes involved with Nick Fury and Maria Hill. But you can guarantee that Peter Parker is going to be very eager to be doing some spy work with people that he's never worked with before. 
uh, especially if you know uh, Nick Fury has the reputation that we all likely you know know that he does. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what that that dynamic is like them working together. And even more interesting is figuring out whether or not this movie actually takes place after Avengers Four. Or if it'll be something that is set before the events of Infinity War, since all three of these characters are supposed to be dead. Um, adding more fuel to that speculation is the fact that Tom Holland posted uh, a charity campaign video where he was wearing the Spider-Man suit from Spider-Man Homecoming and not the Iron Spider suit. So um, that could mean it takes place before Infinity War. It could just mean that he's not wearing the Iron Spider suit anymore for a myriad of reasons, uh, which is something we speculated about in a, a separate article on Slash Film. So, uh, yeah, at the very least, we know that these two former S.H.I.E.L.D. agents will be working with Spider-Man in some capacity overseas, and we're very interested to find out exactly what that will entail. So, Jacob and HT, what do you guys make of all this? Do you think, based on this casting, do you think this uh, adds more fuel to that fire, that this is going to be set, uh, I guess, not in the immediate aftermath of Avengers 4? Hmm. It's definitely a sequel. <laughs> HD, come on, it has to be a sequel. There's, there's no trying way to give it the benefit of the doubt. Forward. I don't know. <laughs> I, I sense the fakeness in, in HD's hmm there. So. I worked really hard on that hmm. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I think uh, Kevin Feige himself wasn't it. Wasn't it him? It was somebody very important in Marvel said that uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home was supposed to take place like it was basically supposed to begin almost immediately after the events of Avengers Four uh, come to an end. So I, I don't know, and unless they do some flashback stuff, um, which I guess is very possible. Um, and, and Marvel has done plenty of flashbacks before, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's gotta be a sequel, but I, I'm wondering also, do you guys think that this sort of cements the idea that Tony Stark is not going to be around after Avengers four, that maybe he would ultimately sacrifice himself or something. And all, of course, all this is speculation. We don't know anything about what's going to happen in that movie yet, but the idea that, uh, that Sam Jackson and Kobe Smulders would be coming to this cast and not Robert Downey Jr., um, that to me sort of I, I'm my spider sense is tingling. I'm wondering if that, if that's a, a you know an, an inadvertent confirmation that uh, Tony Stark isn't going to be around for a while. Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Now that's He's an interesting man. question, Ben. Yeah, and I think that's <laughs> probably mostly correct because it seems like without Tony Stark acting as the uh, mentor mentor role, it would seem that the higher ups in Shield would or not Shield anymore. I guess I don't even know what kind of operatives yeah, they are. What, they, what is it even called now? Does the organization have a name after uh, the events of Winter Soldier? Do they? Do we? Does anybody know the answer to that? I think that they're just. I think they're just like rogue agents now i'm not even sure that they have like an official affiliation or anything like that okay well yeah i guess uh i guess i don't know does anybody else jacob or, or brad do you guys have any thoughts about uh tony stark and what this casting might say or, or do you think that it's possible that that they're just trying to hold that and play that you know that card really uh, close to the vest and and save uh downey's casting and you know try to fly him in with a sheet over his head and do the whole secretive thing where if he were to show up in that movie we wouldn't know about it until it actually hits theaters there's no way. Yeah, I mean, there... there's no way. Right? I'm sorry. I'll let Brad speak. I'm talking too much. There's no way, though. There's no way. <laughs> I mean, it's it could go one way or the other because, like, it's you know, a lot of people think that Tony Stark is gonna die in Avengers Four, which would be a hell of a way for him to go out. The characters, you know, was the beginning of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and uh, as heart wrenching as that would be for fans, uh, you know, it would it would be kind of a I don't know a noble end for for that character, especially if he's giving his life to save 
uh, everybody else. It would, you know, essentially be the, the least selfish thing that he could uh, do in, in his life, probably. But at the same time, there's there's always the chance that he could finally retire, especially if there if those uh, rumors or and speculation about him and Pepper Potts potentially having a child by the time Avengers Four comes around uh, is proven to be true, because that might be something that would finally get him to stop feeling obligated uh, to do things, especially when there's a whole other team now that can take care of this. Who, who you know, and with Thanos out of the way, he probably wouldn't feel any obligation necessarily because he feels like the biggest threat in his life has been dealt with yeah. um but but i mean even so the fact that peter parker is wearing the old spider-man suit and not the iron spider suit would seem to indicate that maybe if that suit could get destroyed in avengers 4 and if tony stark's not around to fix it that's why he has to go back to his old suit mm-hmm. um that's something that i also talked about in that speculation article about why he's wearing the old suit but it's you know it, it could go either way because there's so many secrets being kept in marvel and there you know we just have no idea what's going to happen in Avengers 4 or and how it's going to continue afterwards that it's, you know, it's tough to say. Yeah, some good points there. Uh, Jacob, do you have any thoughts about that? Any reactions to what Brad just said? No, Brad said it all because he, he he's always right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't think of a better way to end this episode than that. And and Brad, you're never going to find a, a an exit to a podcast that, uh, <laughs> that treats you better than that one does. So um, before we end officially, where can people find more of all of our work online? Uh, Jacob, let's start with you. I'm on SlashFilm.com every single day, and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. And Brad? You can find me on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, always on SlashFilm.com, writing about movies, TV, and assorted entertainment stuff. And my own podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, available on iTunes. And HT? You can also always find me at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. I am on SlashFilm.com as well. I'm on Twitter at Ben Pears, and you can find more about all the stories we mentioned today on SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes. I will also include links to the 10 best DC animated movies from HT and that Spider-Man article speculating about the Iron Spider suit that Brad mentioned as well. Uh, SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com and leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.